Optimism is in the air. The world economy is currently experiencing its strongest recovery in almost 50 years. That explains why the latest Nordea economic outlook had a bunch of floating balloons on its cover and the title Unrestricted Growth. My name is Terry Baines, and today I'm very happy to be joined by Nordea's Group Chief Economist, Helio Pedersen, who's here to tell us more about that economic outlook and what we can expect going forward. Hi, Helia. Great to be here with you. Thank you, Terry. So in the latest economic outlook, you say that you expect global growth to be a hefty 5.8% this year and then to decline to 4.5% next year, which is still well above the trend rate of growth. Given this disruptive year where we've had um, over a year now with the pandemic, what's driving this strong upswing in the global economy? Yes, uh, first and foremost, uh, we also have to say that it's a hefty 5.8% uh, growth which we forecast for the global economy this year. But as you also mentioned, then uh, it should be seen in background on a very disruptive 2020. So, of course, it's easier to obtain high growth rates when you come from low levels. Uh, but what drives uh, the, the strong performance, uh, the, the upswing now, is first and foremost the rollout of efficient vaccination programs in the, the advanced economies. Uh, we're experiencing that in the US, in the UK, uh, but also to a certain extent in, in the Euro, in, in Europe. Uh, and uh, I would say as you get the larger share of the population vaccinated, then you can also reopen the society uh, faster. And that is uh, what makes us quite optimistic uh, for, say, the second and the third quarter of the year, where we do expect to see kinds of herd immunity uh, coming uh, to a number of countries so we can leave the restrictions behind us open for hotels, restaurants, uh, traveling, all the service uh, activities which we have been without for the past year. And that will give good, uh, uh, solid uh, growth uh, in uh, over, over the year because we come from very, very low levels. And then, of, of course, uh, the manufacturing sector has been doing really well over the past year or so because it hasn't been locked down. And uh, as we have had a very, very uh, expansionary economic policy, it actually means that purchasing power has been fairly stable and robust uh, amongst households, uh, which means that they have had good reasons to buy a lot of goods, which they have done. So the manufacturing sector has been doing well. Now when we see business confidence is really on the rise, we can also expect that a lot of investment activity will be taken up again, which again will uh, boost the manufacturing sector and then, as mentioned, we will get uh, also the, the service sector reopened. Uh, so uh, I, I think that we can be pretty optimistic uh, for the remainder of this year. And as you also mentioned, we expect the growth next year to be 4.5%, which means that the good strong momentum which we see now it will continue into next year so uh, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic and uh, my expectation is that the world economy will by the end of the year already be back at the pre-COVID-19 level when it comes to to, yeah, to act, act, activ economic activity and then uh, we will uh, of course surpass that uh, by large uh, during, during next year so uh, yeah reason for optimism. That's great to hear. So expectations of a rapid recovery and even economic surge, particularly in the U.S., have even sparked concerns about inflation and rising interest rates. 
Um, are these concerns uh, founded and, and what should we expect when it comes to inflation and the response from central banks? I would say that uh, to a certain extent the concerns are justified. Uh, we do see a sharp increase in, uh, say, commodity prices uh, and also a sharp increase in the semi manufacturers, uh, transportation costs. Uh, are also uh, rising sharply. The very big question is whether these price increases from the input side, they are temporary due to bottlenecks in the value chain, uh, in different parts of the value chain, or if they will turn out to be more permanent increases. And I, I would say I, I tend to, to, to believe that it's, uh, it's a temporary phenomenon. Uh, we are seeing inflation now uh, surging, not least in, in, in the US, but a large part of that is still due to some so-called base effects uh, as commodity prices are rising from a very low level. So we have seen the oil price has increased by more than 100% over the past year. However, it is only back to the pre-COVID-19 level. Uh, so a sharp increase but back to an, a more normal level. And then the, the, the big question is, will that rise in prices? Will that continue? Or will the price level now start to flatten out at the pre-COVID-19 level? Uh, and uh, if they do so, which I tend to believe, it also means that these so-called base effects from the sharp increases in commodity prices or also in transportation costs, they will start to level off over the, the, the late summer. And then we will see inflation rates again returning back to more normal levels uh, as, as we know them. But with that being said, I think that for a, a, a certain uh, period uh, of time, we can expect to see inflation above the 2% target, which has been set both from the Fed and also from the European Central Bank, and not least in the US, I would expect to see the inflation hover in the upper end of, of, of 2% for, for a while. The economic policy is, is, is very lenient uh, still, uh, not least in the US with the recovery package, which is having a, a value which is the equivalent of around 10% of GDP. Uh, the new Biden administration has also come up with some really, really generous uh, investment and, and family plans, uh, which could uh, add further to to uh, to the economic activity. So, so maybe we could see that that inflation, such more such persistent, could uh, could could stay above. Uh, and if so, then we would definitely see a, a reaction from, from the Fed, which is known to be a relatively active central bank. Our forecast right now is that Fed is going to hike rates only by the end of 2022, but maybe start tapering off their asset purchase program earlier or maybe already this year, while our forecast for, for the European Central Bank is that they will only start hiking rates uh, at the earliest, uh, late in 2023 and maybe only in 2024. Inflation right now stands at only 1.6% uh, measured on 
year on, on, on year in, in the euro area. The target is, is close to but below 2% and, and it hasn't been around 2% for, for really long. Uh, and I, I, I don't expect that ECB is going to, to start much as thinking about tightening monetary policy anytime soon. So uh, inflation concerns now, yes, they are partly justified, but uh, probably they are due to bottlenecks and bottlenecks usually are disappearing by themselves as supply tends to be relatively elastic on all kinds of commodities in, in the bit longer run. So, um, yeah, inflation up sharply this year, uh, but then probably a return down to the, the 2% uh, uh, level again uh, already in uh, 2022. Okay. Uh, sticking with the U.S. for a minute, you note in the report that the U.S. economy is likely to outperform its peers this year. And it seems the gap is widening between the U.S. and Euro area economies. Um, you've touched on this a bit, but what's driving that and, and what do you see as the consequences of this widening gap? Yeah, first first and foremost, it's due to the much more expansionary economic policy in, in the U.S. Uh, um, in, in the Euro in the Euro area or in Europe as such in the European Union we do see also uh, uh, an expansionary fiscal policy and also an expansionary monetary policy but not to the same extent uh, even in in the EU uh, there are problems right now to get the recovery package uh, ratified in the national parliaments uh, because the German High Court is now looking uh, into the treaty. Uh, so um, the U.S. is acting faster than uh, than Europe uh, when it comes to kickstart the economy, and and, and that makes the difference uh, this year and also next year. Um, so uh, one of the consequences we touched uh, upon the. the risk that inflation will, will start uh, rising. Uh, uh, it has already uh, started to, to rise, but it will do such more sharply in the US than in Europe, which could also have an impact for interest rates. Uh, so the interest rate differential would widen in the favor of the US uh, due to uh, the sharper uh, and stronger growth in, in, in the US economy. Uh, and that could also have uh, an implication for, for the FX market, where we do expect to see a stronger dollar uh, versus the euro over the, our forecast horizon. So there will be some financial markets implications also from this uh, growth differential between the US and uh, and Europe. Uh, but um, I would also say that uh, in, in the US uh, we, we, we also see a strong increase in the debt-to-GDP to ratio uh, in these years and, and that could also have some maybe potentially negative consequences uh, in the longer run for the, the U.S. economy. You also note that the pandemic has widened the gap between rich and poor countries for the first time in many years. Um, is this divergence a cause for concern, would you say? It is a, a cause for, for concern, no doubt about that, not least from a, a political viewpoint. As we all know, then uh, for a number of years, we have tried to live up to the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals. And one of them is that we should uh, eliminate uh, poverty. And what we see now is that, that many of the developing countries, they're really struggling uh, with the pandemic. Uh, they don't have the same financial 
to resources as the Western economies uh, to to combat it. Uh, they ha- don't have the the means to roll out efficient uh, vaccination programs as we see in the advanced economies. Uh, and uh, this development is not good uh, for redistribution of of wealth, which has uh, been politically and an, an objective for for a number of of, of years uh, and so so in that that sense uh, it, it really gives reason to concern that we see this widening income divergence in in in, in the world no doubt uh, about that um, we want to eliminate poverty and the pandemic just simply makes everything much more complicated in this uh, matter. Now, government debt has risen dramatically during the corona crisis. And in the report, you note that such a dramatic increase is only manageable as long as interest rates are record low and central banks hold most of the debt on their balance sheets. Um, you also note that over time, this is unsustainable. Uh, how do you see this playing out? Yeah, it's a, it's a good, uh, question because I, I have to admit that I'm fairly concerned about the development uh, in uh, the public debt in a number of countries here during the pandemic. Um, we have seen a country like uh, Greece, where the debt-to-GDP ratio now is standing at more than 200%. When we had the sovereign debt crisis in Europe, uh, around 2012, then the debt-to-GDP ratio in, in Greece was around 180%. In Italy, it has risen sharply also now to, to around 150% of GDP. And uh, these countries can just simply have problems by s- servicing their debt in case that the interest rate gets to, say, 2, 3, 4% over the coming years. So I'm a bit concerned about the situation, maybe not now, but in the in the bit longer run. As long as the central banks are holding the bonds and they are financing the public uh, expenditures, it really doesn't matter that much. But when monetary policy gets normalized, then uh, we could see concern also in financial markets about uh, the debt sustainability in a number of more fragile countries like in Southern Europe, but also in many other places around the world. So this is a reason for for concern. Uh, If we look at the Nordic countries, then the situation is completely different uh, as it's only in Finland where we have seen uh, the debt-to-GDP ratio passing uh, by the the 60% uh, limit set out in the Stability and Growth Pact. But, but still, it's manageable. Uh, I'm, I'm more concerned about the situation in some of the South European countries in the longer run. But as I also mentioned before, even in the U.S., we have seen a sharp increase. Uh, the U.S. has been running a very expansionary fiscal policy for a number of years. And uh, I think with the investment and family plans, uh, which the Biden administration has uh, presented recently and the recovery package, we would only see that the U.S. debt-to-GDP ratio will continue to increase uh, sharply in the coming years. And maybe even there, there could be problems with uh, servicing the debt in the longer run. Uh, the good thing for the for the U.S. is that the potential growth rate is relatively high. It's not so in, in, in Europe. Uh, and we might end up in a situation where we can only have a stable situation uh, by letting the the central bank keep on buying government bonds so to ensure that the servicing of the debt uh, remains um, doable um, but but I'm a bit concerned about the development I have seen too many debt crises uh, throughout my career to to say that this is uh, 
just something where you can close your eyes and and sleep with no f- fears or concerns. In the report, you argue that the Nordic countries will likely emerge from the coronavirus crisis as the global winners. You you just mentioned good uh, public finances f- for the most part, but um, why is why why do you have this optimistic? Uh, outlook for the Nordics in the coming years? Uh, I would say that, that the Nordic so-called welfare model, I think, has uh, proven uh, its kind of superiority in, in, in a situation with a, a pandemic uh, as we haven't seen uh, the overburdened uh, hospitals. We have seen relatively decent uh, economic growth. The hole which the economies fell into last year was not as, as deep as in many other countries. Uh, and I think one of the reasons for, for that is that uh, the Nordic countries have a good and f- well-functioning uh, IT infrastructure, which means that it has been possible to take on remote work uh, without any operational risks. Uh, and we have also, you know, from day one during the lockdowns, been able to maintain our shopping pattern by buying uh, from uh, from internet uh, sites. Uh, so a, a, a good IT infrastructure is, uh, is a must for a country to come well through uh, a pandemic uh, with lockdowns. And, and that has worked really well in the Nordics. As mentioned, the, the hospital uh, and the health system as such as uh, has not been even close to breaking down as we have seen in a number of other countries and then the public finances uh, have been very solid so we have been able to come up with very generous uh, compensation packages and and, and, and other uh, measures to uh, keep the economy going and then that is also one of the reasons i think that we will emerge as what i call it global winners uh, because as we talked about before uh, many other countries uh, have seen a very very sharp increase uh, in their in their public debt which can cause problems in the future also for the future generations while that situation has not occurred in the Nordic countries so on both health and economic parameters I, I think that the Nordics have been doing uh, really good during the pandemic. The the housing markets have also been surprisingly hot across the Nordics um, during the pandemic. C- can we expect that to continue, do you think? Maybe they have been uh, too hot, <laughs> I would say. That's right, yeah. but I, I, I think that, that that has been the case in, in maybe most countries worldwide that the housing markets have been doing really well because financing costs, uh, they're record low. Uh, they were being reduced in all countries uh, during the pandemic uh, and there are now expectations uh, amongst uh, most people that uh, this situation will last uh, for, for for long. Then mobility uh, has been reduced uh, during uh, the pandemic, which is one of the reasons that the supply of houses uh, uh, has been 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 relatively low, uh, not least compared to demand, because many people during the pandemic maybe have have seen that they didn't lose their job, uh, they had these uh, compensation schemes or they uh, they were still in in in, in work so the, the purchasing power has been uh, has been great uh, for for many people and maybe they have had some dreams about upgrading their their house which uh, has been fulfilled uh, during the pandemic uh, so demand has been uh, really strong uh, many have maybe also had the believe that they would uh, continue to uh, 
to work remote uh, after the pandemic, so they would in general just upgrade their 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 house also to to prepare for more uh, home work in the future. So there have been many reasons that that demand has been uh, has been uh, relatively strong, and also for summer houses uh, because we haven't been been able really to travel, and uh, that has also meant that that many have. Uh, have uh, bought a, a summer house or a cottage uh, during the pandemic, so demand has been high. Uh, but now, when when things are being more normalized, we see that mobility increases again. I think, and also that that, that the prices are, are really good now. That would uh, for sure get more sellers to the market. So a more balanced demand and supply in the housing market uh, will lower uh, the, the the rise in house prices and then as we spoke about before I think that we, we talked about that the interest rates would also probably increase over the forecast horizon. They have already done so if you look at the long-term yield and also mortgages and that will increase financing costs to a certain extent. So the combination of high interest rates and a better balance between uh, demand and supply will definitely uh, make these very sharp increases in house prices level off, uh, and I would expect that to happen relatively soon when societies are being reopened. So I would not expect to see double-digit increases in house prices over the, the next year from now on. We will see it in 2021, but for sure the increases are going to level off say by the second half of this year and next year we will hardly see any increases but if you measure it on an average annual level then we will see increases next year in the range of two to three percent much more in line with the development in uh, in the in the gdp uh, growth in the countries uh, but a large share of that increase has already been taken this year so no, they will not continue to increase. And if they do so, then authorities will definitely step in by uh, by new macroprudential measures uh, to, uh, to 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 put a break on, on these increases because they are neither sustainable. They are not. Now, overall, you've given us quite an optimistic outlook with the the latest uh, Nordea economic outlook. What what would you say are the biggest downside risks? I would mention uh, three downside risks. First and, and foremost, of course, the pandemic. We can see new variants uh, of uh, the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, emerge, which uh, is not responsive to to the known uh, vaccinations. So, so that's 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 a risk. Uh, definitely a downside risk. Uh, then there is a, a clear risk that uh, we will see a lot of geopolitical uh, issues uh, coming up again. Uh, we already see that now in, in, in the conflict between the, the Israels and the Palestinians. Uh, the whole Middle East uh, could again blow up, um, as we have seen that before. And uh, I think that there are many, many tensions uh, which have been, been laid down with the pandemic, but they will uh, uh, blossom uh, now again when... Uh, when the uh, restrictions are, are being lifted, uh, so geopolitical risk also in uh, in, in in Asia, uh, no doubt about that. Uh, and uh, then, in case that these bottlenecks, which we talked about earlier on uh, in the value chain, is is not temporary, 
Uh, but that we will see a surge in the demand for, say, uh, commodities, materials, etc., and that we will see second-round effects also in the labor market from higher uh, uh, price increases. So we will see uh, wages also really start to increase, and maybe such a price wage spiral will start, and we will see high inflation rates and high interest rates uh, in the future. That could uh, really be uh, something where we could see financial markets, turbulence uh, come around. Uh, so that could have a severe impact both on uh, equity markets, but also on housing markets. Uh, and that, that is a risk which we need to, to relate ourselves to as well. So these are the three major risks. The pandemic itself, geopolitical risks, and then uh, a higher than expected inflation rate. Well, as always, a pleasure having you, Helia, and thank you everyone for listening. You can find more from Helia and the Nordea research team at corporate.nordea.com. And stay tuned for the next Outlook, which comes out in September. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.